Thank you for sharing, Shane. So our text today is a short and simple text. It's Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. If you're using the Blue Bibles uh, on the seats, it's on page 816. On page 816, Matthew 11, verses 28 to 30. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Jesus, this is an amazing invitation that you extended to your hearers then and through the Holy Spirit you extend to us today now. There's a wonderful offer at the heart of it because there's a wonderful Savior at the heart of it. And so I pray that today as we look at this invitation, we could see it clearly and we could feel moved to respond to it and to see and enjoy you in a fresh way. I pray this in your name. Amen. So yesterday, my wife and I got to uh, celebrate at a wedding, at Chade and Amanda's wedding that a number of you were at as well. Um, it was a wonderful time. Sadly, we ran out of childcare time, and so we didn't get to be around for the reception as well, which is particularly disappointing to my wife. Um, we both love wedding dancing. She lives for it. So, um, but the wedding was great. Still a wonderful time. And the reason we got to go to that wedding was because Amanda gave my wife an invitation. So she picked us out as one of the guests that she invited. She asked us to show up at a certain place at a certain time. And then she offered us something that if we show up, we get to participate in this thing. So she picked an audience. She gave an ask. And she made an offer as part of that ask. That's what an invitation is. Um, It's the same maybe if one of your classmates in school invited uh, their whole class to celebrate a birthday party. Um, You know, so they pick an audience, the class. They make an ask. They say, hey, come to, you know, this place and this time. And, you know, pre-COVID, the offer was something like, we're going to have a pony and a hot air balloon, and I've commissioned a portrait painter. And post-COVID, it's like, we're going to have cake and bubbles on the front porch. And uh, it's just as fun. So we've had like eight post-COVID birthdays, and I don't ever want to go back, to be honest. Uh, But there's the audience, the ask, and the offer. And so in the same way, the passage that we're looking at today shows Jesus giving an invitation. So he selects an audience, and he identifies that in the passage. He asks them to do something, and then he offers something as a result of them participating in that. And so as we look at those three components of his invitation today, we actually see something very significant about who he is and about what he's up to in the world. So that's what we're going to analyze today, the audience, the ask, and the offer of this invitation. So let's look at the audience first. Who is Jesus inviting? He tells us this in verse 28. He says, all who labor and are heavy laden. Now, just to be clear, he's not standing at like a shipyard or a construction site, you know, kind of waving over at the dock workers and saying, put down your stuff and come over here. He's talking on a different level, even though many of the people that he's talking to probably were day laborers. So they would have known, you know, kind of spiritually the experience he's talking about. Um, So he's talking on a different level. And we can see that uh, from the word heavy laden. So in the Greek, that's basically the same word as burden in verse 30. 
So to be heavy laden is to be carrying a burden. And Jesus is very clearly not saying in verse 30, my followers all have this backpack. And they all put the backpack on and it's light. Don't worry about it. But you'll wear the backpack and that's what it means that you're my follower. Um, He's talking on a spiritual level. Later in Matthew, he denounces the religious leaders of Israel who have oppressed the people of Israel spiritually and sometimes financially. They sort of, uh, and he says this specifically. He says they, these religious leaders, they tie up heavy burdens that are hard to bear and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to raise a finger to help. So he says these religious leaders have... put these heavy burdens on the people to say, this is what it means to be God's people. This is what it means if you want to make God happy and be satisfied. And then they just let him go and say, best of luck. You're on your own. You know, let me know if you need some help. I'll give you some more burden. Um, so, um, so he's talking to people, Jesus is, who are spiritually burdened. So that word labor usually has the idea of exhaustion tied to it, of sort of working yourself into the ground. And heavy laden means carrying a burden that you don't control, that someone else has given you. And so on the level of the soul, that means Jesus' audience, the people that he's talking to, the people he's looking at here, are people who are desperately working to make their soul right, whatever that means for them. To be spiritually satisfied, they are driving themselves into the ground. And at people whose souls are weighed down by the expectations of others or by guilt and shame over their failures to meet those standards. So that's what Jesus means when he talks to those who are weary and heavy laden. I grew up in the church, a really solid church, solid Christian parents. I considered myself a Christian most of my life, um, but I was, I was generally a good kid. And so I did church as part of being a good kid. And so I was able to kind of like hold Jesus at arm's length. Be like, hey, you know, like we're buddies, we're around. This is part of, you know, who I am. It's part of the resume, sort of building the resume. Um, So I went to college and I quit building the resume because I got, you know, relationships with people who weren't doing that. They were going after other things. And so I started doing that too. And one of the ways that God actually saved me, that he actually brought me to himself was, uh, this was halfway through college after my sophomore year, he started ramping up in my heart this intense anxiety over something just like a silly college thing. You know, we're looking back on it now. I can see that it is. You know, at the time, obviously, it felt like a huge thing. But what he did uh, was he showed me that I was carrying a burden that I thought I was in control of my life. My whole thing was like, I've got enough of Jesus to be good on that level. I've got enough good at school to be good on that level. I'm in control of everything. And he was showing me I'm not actually in control even of my own heart. I can't manage my own thoughts and emotions. And so he, he showed me the burden I was carrying, and that was part of him actually saving me, of bringing me into a real, you know, ultimate relationship with him. That's what Jesus' heart is like. His heart is for people whose souls are exhausted or burdened. Maybe it's like a labor of fear. You have anxiety about getting your life right. And so you're just, you know, putting all the pieces together, like collecting the marbles as they're rolling around, doing everything you can to piece together a life that you think is going to be satisfying. Or maybe it's the burden of someone else's expectations that you know you can't live up to, but you still feel like you have to drag around because you don't know another authoritative voice in your head. And so you're lugging this thing around and you're burdened under it. It might even be the weight of your own mistakes, 
So something that you've done in the past or something that you're stuck in now, and just the reality, the weight of that is just weighing you down into the muck because you know you're not supposed to be in it, but you don't know what to do with it. If you're any of those things, then you are Jesus' audience today. You are one of the people that he's extending this invitation to. And so what is he asking you to do? What's the ask? What's part two here? And what does that show about his heart? He actually makes his ask in three different ways in this passage, but they're all, you know, three sides of the same slice of pizza, which is a word, a phrase. Um, (laughs) Three ways of making the same request. Uh, So in verse 28, he says, come to me. And then in verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So the weirdest one of these three is the yoke one. So we'll start there because it actually makes sense of the others. Um, A yoke is not the yellow part of an egg. Um, I'm from Mississippi, and the words sound the same. Um, So it's easy, you know, reasonable confusion. Um, A yoke was this big piece of wood that you actually lay over the shoulders or neck of like one animal or a pair of working animals. So you could control their direction, and so they sort of move and exert their energy in the same way. And so it's a way to control animals and also help them move the same direction that you want them to do. And uh, so they could pull a cart or they could pull a load, something like that. And so in this time, one way to train a younger or a weaker animal was to yoke it to a stronger, more experienced one. And so this animal is getting used to carrying a yoke and being trained to move in the right direction. But it has this stronger, older, more experienced animal that one can help it set the right direction and move the way it's supposed to move and also carry a burden that it's not used to carrying yet. That animal can shoulder more of the load. So with that in mind, the word yoke was also used symbolically to describe when someone dedicated a season of their life to a rabbi, which was to a teacher of the Jewish law. So they would take that teacher's yoke on them by connecting their life to the teachers, by following them around, and by learning from how they interpreted the Torah, God's word, and how they lived. And so by taking that rabbi's yoke on them, they, the idea was, would grow spiritually by learning from and being connected to this teacher. Um, Old apprenticeships used to work this way, that an an apprentice learning a trade would like spend their whole day at a stonemason's house, or maybe they would go and live with them, and they would learn the trade and make their first business connections growing up under, you know, the influence, uh, the yoke of a mason. So that image kind of ties together these parts of the invitation. So when Jesus says, come to me, he's inviting us to yoke ourselves to him in a relationship. Not just to visit him like we you know, visit a chiropractor for a quick adjustment before we go back to a lifestyle of bad posture, um, which I say this as a person with bad posture, so I'm not you know, throwing shame. Uh, I probably need a chiropractor. Um, but uh, to move in with him. And when he says, learn from me, That means, let me lead you in the direction that you should go. Not just kind of sprinkle my words in with the life that you're living, but follow the course that I am setting, that I'm moving on. So he's saying, take the burden of my leadership on your shoulders and let me be your authority. This is important to be clear about because Jesus is clear about it in verse 30. He has a yoke and he has a burden. He says they're easy and light, and we're going to talk about why that is, because they are. But he has a direction he's moving. And if we come to him, 
then that means we're moving where he's moving. We're going where he's going. One of the reasons that we're doing this sermon series is called Looking at Jesus, um, which is mainly through the Gospel of Luke. So my sermon today, the one from last week, they're kind of bonus tracks from other Gospels in the Bible. Um, But the reason we're doing this is we want to make sure with kind of just all the voices, all the chaos, all the things in the world, that we are seeing Jesus clearly. So who he is, what he's up to in the world, and what he wants from us. And we are asking ourselves with that, is he sort of the big ox in my yoke? Is he the one who's setting the direction that I'm moving? Does it look like I'm going where he's going when I see him in the Gospels? Or am I moving in a different direction? Do I have things that need to change so I'm back into uh, under his yoke? And so that's why, that's one of the things that we do when we study the Bible is we don't have Jesus physically present with us anymore, but we have this word that he gave us. And he told us that not just the four gospels, but every book of the Bible, the 66 books are all really about him. And so when we study the scriptures, we can see through them who Jesus is, what he's doing in the world and what he wants for us, what it means to carry his yoke and move with him through life. Um, there's a great verse in Colossians verse 3.16, and I'm going to read the New Living Translation because I really like how they render it. So it's Colossians 3.16. Paul writes, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. So that's from, uh, that's the message about Christ in all its richness fill our lives. That means that we steep ourselves in the word so that God's word fills us and every corner of our life uh, gets touched by the word of God. Teaching and counseling each other with all the wisdom God gives means that we are in a community of people, like Shane talked about, who are carrying our burdens with us, who are praying for us, and who are seeking wisdom together, so we are sure that we're moving in the right way. And then singing prayers and songs to God with thankful hearts, worshiping the Father with gratitude, it's not just like a fake act where we're trying to talk ourselves or you know, fake it till we make it about feeling better. It's actually a way of steering our hearts toward God, of putting ourselves back under the yoke again so that we are kind of correcting ourselves and putting ourselves back into his will. These are all parts of saying yes to what Jesus asks in his invitation. These are all part of taking his yoke and learning from him. And then in the third part of the invitation, we actually see what this says about his heart. And we see why, even though he's saying, I have a yoke and a burden, it's actually good news. And so this is the offer. And he says, uh, uh, he says this. He says, I will give you rest in verse 28. And in verse 29, he says it again. I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So he offers us his yoke and his burden that also give rest. How is that possible? What does that even mean? I'm coming to Jesus with my burdens, with my problems, with my labor, and he's saying, I'm going to give you something else. How on earth is this good for us? There's a clue 
and the audience of Jesus' invitation. The people he singles out are people who are weary and heavy laden. They're the people who are feeling the burden of the yoke on their soul already. And so by doing that, Jesus is saying something profound. He's saying that everyone, whether you feel it right now or not, whether you know it right now or not, you have a yoke. You have tied yourself to something, and that something is setting the direction of your life. The ones who are laboring and heavy laden are just the ones who know it, who realize it. Every one of us has something that we look to to find meaning and satisfaction in life, to have the feeling that our lives are going well. Maybe it's financial security. And so I labor like crazy to get the best job possible and sock away as much money into my retirement account as I can. And I can't spare time or money for other people because I have to keep feeding that 401k. Um, That's why I'm in ministry, right? So I took this job for the the money. Um, Or maybe it's the approval of others. So I will do or say or pretend to be whatever it takes so that the right people will look at me and say, she's great. She's hilarious. I love her. I love what she does. And when we feel like we're laboring hard enough to keep that together, it can be satisfying for a little while. But if anything makes it crumble, whether it's a mistake that we make or just a force outside our control, then we crumble with it because it was our foundation and it's gone. And so many of these things, even when we get them and we're in the moment, they're not satisfying. There's an interview several years back with Tom Brady, who's an NFL quarterback, um, one of the most uh, kind of winning, decorated quarterbacks of all time, if you don't know who he is. Um, and this interview happened when he was just, his, everything was up and to the right for him. His star was on the rise. He'd won multiple Super Bowls. He was a multimillionaire. He had everything that the American dream says you're supposed to have. He was winning, you know, the, the biggest game in the country. And the interviewer asked him, basically, like, they kind of list everything he's got, and they say, so, are you satisfied? Like, is this it? Have you made it? You're good to go? And he actually says, no. He says, even with all these things, I feel like there's something else out there. I don't know what it is, but I haven't made it. And there's actually, you can kind of see in his face, it's a video interview, like a a bit of the desperation and the confusion, So he's got everything that the American dream says you're supposed to have. And he's like, it's not enough. It's not it. It's not what I need. Jesus's yoke and Jesus's burden, on the other hand, are completely different from those things. C.S. Lewis, the author who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, the line, the witch, and the wardrobe and all, he delivered a sermon called The Weight of Glory. And in it, he said, we all have, and most of us recognize, this hunger that nothing on earth seems to satisfy. It doesn't matter what I cram in it. Finances, relationships, success, comfort. It just, nothing satisfies this hunger. Nothing scratches this itch. And he says the reason why, uh, the reason why it feels like something is missing is because we were actually made to see and enjoy the infinite glory of God. We were made to have the creator and author and ruler of the universe look us in the face and say, well done, my son or daughter. You are part of my family. We long for that. We were made for that. And as long as we try to fill that by carrying other burdens or laboring to have that, we're, we can't make it happen. We're not going to satisfy that hunger. And the thing that makes uh, Jesus' burden light 
is not just that he points us in that direction and then he says, all right, so that's where you should go. Good luck. You're on your own. When we come into a relationship with him and take his yoke on our shoulders, we're uh, taking his burden, but he's also taking ours. He's the big ox, which means that he's the one who's not just setting the direction, but he's the one who's exerting the force to make it happen. He's the one who's moving us where we need to go. The Bible teaches that he came and he lived a perfect human life to redeem humanity, that none of us have any hope of being perfect. If you're here today and you still hope you might turn out perfect, Sorry, it's not going to happen. But he lived a perfect human life that was completely satisfying to God the Father. And in that, he gave that human life to everyone who's yoked with him. And he didn't just do that. He died on the cross under the penalty for our sin. So he paid a price that he didn't accrue, that we did. Um, And he paid that for us to satisfy the wrath of God against our sin and our failures to live for God. And then not just that, he rose again in glory and he ascended into heaven now and is one day going to come back to reunite heaven and earth in the new creation. And he took humanity up there with him. So in a sense, you know, we're laboring here on earth now, but then there is a real sense in which who we are is already up there. Who we are at root, if we're with Christ, is in heaven right now at the right hand of the Father. And that is through nothing that we've done or nothing we're going to do. It wasn't a down payment or an investment in my future progress. It was entirely an act of grace that Jesus earned for us and offers to everyone who takes his burden and his yoke. They're easy and they're light because we don't have to do the work when we're with him. We have work. We have things to do in this life. We have burdens to carry, kind of like Shane talked about, and we have people to carry burdens for. But the, the real ultimate work of satisfying our souls, of seeing the face of God, is done. And it's done for everyone who trusts Jesus. Dane Ortland, uh, as a pastor, wrote a book called Gentle and Lowly. Um, which is an exposition of kind of the heart of Jesus from this passage. We have a bunch of these that we're giving away for free at the info table. And honestly, if like all you remember out of the sermon is I should go get that book and read it, I'm all right with that. Um, It is an excellent, excellent exposition of the heart of Christ. But he says that when Jesus says in this passage, I am gentle and lowly in heart, this is the one time in all the recorded words of Jesus that Jesus tells us what his heart is like. He tells us who he is deep down under everything else. Ortland writes this. He writes, This high and holy Christ does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numbed sufferers. Such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. He cannot bear to hold back. He's gentle which means that he's patient and kind, dragging us around uh, with the yoke that we've attached ourselves to him with. That he is lowly, which means he's happy to carry our burdens all the way through the grave and into heaven now. And when we come to him with the burdens that are killing us, with the labor that's destroying us, that just can't and won't satisfy, 
then he gives us rest because he has done the final ultimate work that matters. Let's pray. Jesus, we don't deserve for you to be gentle and lowly with us. We don't deserve for you to be kind. We don't deserve uh, any of the things that you have done for us and the things that you will do for us in the new creation. And so I just pray that uh, we could see and rejoice in your mercy and we could live in hope, in confidence of what you have done, not in what we feel like we have to do. I pray for those here today who are carrying heavy burdens, some of whom know you and some of whom don't. I pray that they could find rest, deep soul rest as they carry those things. I pray that we could have hope in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, let's stand and see.